Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 132. They put us in boxes and pour cement on those boxes. I feel like for the last 10 to 15 years, with chisel and hammer in each hand, I have been unearthing my own self. Joe Lumen is a Colombian-born and raised pastor who moved to the United States to get her master's degree in ministry and theology. After 10 years of working inside of churches here in the U.S., developing curriculum, teaching classes on theology and doctrine, she found in personal and systemic ways how harmful and abusive the evangelical church can be. Jo quit her job and committed to finding a faith that wasn't abusive. Alongside her partner, she started The Living Room, a nonprofit reclaiming faith and Christianity as spiritual expressions that can lead us toward wholeness and healing. In the summer of 2020, alongside a group of victims and survivors of church abuse, Joe started Do Better Church, an online space where people abused in churches can be seen, heard, believed, and connected to others who can offer tools in their journey toward healing. Joe speaks and teaches about decolonizing faith and theology, as well as the importance of dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, both individually and collectively. I am so excited to be kicking off season five with Joe. I have followed Joe for years at this point, and she's just doing such incredible work in this space. So thrilling to have her on the show today. Welcome back, y'all. It has been a little while, hasn't it? I uh, I have a bad habit of just kind of dropping off the face of the earth without much warning on this podcast. <laughs> It makes sense in my brain. I'm like, I have so much to do. I can't do the podcast anymore. But then I forget to tell people about it. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, That is something that I am going to work on, that if I need to take a break, that I'll tell you instead of just stopping releasing episodes. But we're back, back on a consistent release schedule. Every other week, every other Tuesday, you'll be able to tune in here uh, for a new episode. And I'm just thrilled for what we have coming up in the upcoming months. It's going to be so much fun. Just to keep you all posted on what I have been working on, because I didn't just like lay on my couch, although that would have been nice. (laughs) I am almost finished with a new book. It's slated to be released in fall of 2023. Uh, That new book is all about 
how do we find home again after our faith has been shattered? So for those of us who kind of grew up within churches or who found home in churches, whether in our youth or as adults, uh, and then have had an experience of that falling apart, uh, how do we find home again after that has happened? Uh, So I've been working really hard on that. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I also started hosting a new podcast, co-hosting a new podcast with Kristen Howerton. She's another therapist based in California. I joined her show called Selfie, and we talk about mental health every week. So if you want to add another podcast to your rotation, Selfie is a whole lot of fun. Uh, Episodes come out every Wednesday, and it's just kind of a lighthearted, fun show. Kristen and I joke a lot. We talk about important things in the mental health world. It is, I will let you know, is a completely different target audience than Queerology is. (laughs) It's like Kristen's main audience is like moms, which is not me. <laughs> so it's it's a very different kind of podcast. Uh but I I'm having a lot of fun with it. So go join us over there if you want uh more podcasts in your week. No announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Joe, hi, welcome. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Matthias. Oh yeah, I just am thrilled. I, I'm so excited for this conversation. So, so to start, this is the question I ask everyone. What are your identities and how has your faith helped form those identities? I have a lot of different identities. I, am, uh, I don't consider myself non-binary, but I don't consider myself a woman only, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, me, um, And that has been something that my faith particularly has given me a lot of permission to do. Because to me, the divine, to me being a participating in divinity and being the Christ in the world means being the most authentic version of myself, the most aligned with divinity version of myself. And that version is this woman that's not a woman only, that is more than that. And so there is that. And then I am an immigrant and all of the different connections that I have with a lot of different indigenous ancestors have shaped a lot of who I am and how I show up in the world now. And their indigenous spirituality and their even indigenous religion too, and how religion was not really just a set of do's and don'ts for my indigenous ancestors, but instead it was this set of ethics and way of existing in the world, a way to answer who we are, why we're here, what's the purpose of community, what's the purpose of our life, how we are interconnected to one another. So all of those things shape the way in which I show up in the world and the way in which I lead my life. And those are just two of the identities that I hold, right? Because I'm also a mother and being a mother, considering the ways in which divinity has mothered us if you think of divinity as something bigger than just a god but instead if you look at divinity as this like earth that sustain us and how i can learn so much from the sustaining of the earth the sustaining of life of the earth to be able to be a mother that sustains my own children's growth and development so yeah there are so many of my identities that are completely shaped by my theology by my religion people tell me like one day you'll be an atheist and i'm like i don't think so because (laughs) religion and spirituality shape everything about my life that's how i exist in the world like I am the divine. I am a part of the divine in the world. So to choose to not believe in divinity anymore or not align myself with theology anymore is to also choose to not align with the identity that I hold of me as being a part of the divine. Yeah. I I would love to hear some of the 
journey, for lack of a better word, you, you've been on in identifying with the divine, maybe some of the evolution of what you were taught versus what you believe now? Like, what has that kind of looked like for you? Yeah, it's been a whole entire journey. It feels, somebody asked recently somewhere, how many lives do you think that you've lived? I'm like, I don't even know now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are so many, and we all have, right, lived so many lives. And this, like, evolution of who you are and changing of who you are and uh, perhaps not changing, but perhaps being able to unearth parts of who you are that have been hidden or have been oppressed really under so many systems that demand that we fit into boxes. So I've been unearthing this divine within me for a very long time. And the way that I was raised, my mom was really like a lot of authoritarian parenting was mm. my upbringing with my mom more than anything. My dad was not very authoritarian, but with my mom, it was this very authoritarian, just you obey because we tell you that you have to do these. And I do not fault my mom for that. She was doing the best she could with the tools that she had available to her. Sure. And she, you know, like there were, there wasn't a lot of autonomy. There wasn't a lot of, I, I always felt like I was a, an inconvenience. Like I just needed to shut up and do what they were expecting me to do. And when you're a child and you have an underdeveloped brain, you start internalizing a lot of ideas about who you are, about your identities, right? About your value. And so I internalized a lot of ideas that I was worth like I was worthy because of the work that I do. I was worthy because of how much help I can offer. I was worthy because of how aligned I am with the expectations of people. So a straight A student, like a good child that caused a lot of problems, but very covertly was, I got really good at lying to my mom. My sister was the opposite. My sister would get in trouble up front <laughs> as a second child because I would offer this shield of protection for her almost, right? Sure. And so I... Then I became, my dad became a Christian, an evangelical Christian when I was 14 years old. And my sister and I, as a consequence, became Christians too. And we, like then the narratives were, you're saved by this grace and God died and we're all sinners and we all have this um, sinful nature and God cannot even look at you unless it is through the blood of God, of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And all of those narratives actually didn't help me have a better relationship with myself, but instead solidified the idea that I'm not worthy that I'm not good, that I have something to prove at all times, that my existence alone is not worthy, but that I exist to perform, that I exist to do something, that I exist to serve this God. Uh, and this divinity was outside of me. Like it was this thing that I was outside of me that was going to save me from this hell that I didn't even know if it was real or not. And so I started questioning all of these things and engaging a lot of different Jewish theology and engaging liberation theology and black theology and queer theology and womanist theology, mujerista theology, and all of these ideas of divinity that are so different than evangelical Christian theology mm. and seeing divinity, like the idea of the cosmic Christ, which has existed since the second century. Like it's not even new. It just has morphed, like all theologies morph and evolve and change. But this idea of the cosmic Christ as the reality that Christ is in everything, it wasn't Jesus the man, and uh, Jesus was just a part of the Christ, but the Christ is inside of all of us, and the Christ is this divinity embodied, is just uh, moving in the world 
as the most authentic version of ourselves that is bringing heaven on earth everywhere we step foot. Like our presence alone is safety for the most marginalized. Our presence alone is the divine in the presence of those who have no access to safety, who have no access to heaven at all. And so I started engaging with all of these ideas and then I was starting to reconnect with a lot of my indigenous ancestry and reconnect. Well, my grandpa grew, I mean, he didn't grow up there for a long time, but his first most formative G years, he was eight years old when he moved down or seven, between seven and eight, when he was sent down to Bogota, the largest city in Colombia, to work because they were very poor. And so my grandpa grew up up in the Andes mountains. He's 13 hours away from Bogota. It's the, it's, it's like up in the mountains, up in the Andes mountains, full of mm. snow and it's very cold. And he has all of this indigenous wisdom inside of him that he has always shared with us. Like he, he used to have this hacienda in the plains of Colombia and we used to go there and spend weekends as a family. And he would wake all of us grandbabies up early and he would tell us that we needed to be present for the earth to wake up with us and mm. to pay attention and we would he would say listen to the earth wake up listen to the earth and you can hear it you can hear the frogs and the birds you can hear the different animals you can hear the trees the wind you can feel the sun coming up and he would tell us like we are part of this we wake up with the earth but my grandpa when I became a Christian I was taught that all of these was demonic and that I needed to pray that my grandpa would let go of all of that and all of these things. And I did, unfortunately, I did pray for all of those things. But then when I started thinking through all of that and learning more about Judaism and learning about other ways of engaging theology, I realized that my grandpa's theology was actually beautiful. And my grandma, my grandma has this mix of Catholicism with her indigenous roots, which is really cute. Mm. And I started engaging with their theology more and asking them about what they believed and asking them about why they believed what they believed. And it was just so beautiful for me to be able to engage that part and realize that they don't have to compete with the, the dominant religion that was given to me, but instead that I can incorporate really healthy expressions of theology and religion and spirituality that come from different sources because the spirituality is an individual journey that we all go into and religion is the way in which we collectively engage one another spiritually. So it, it wasn't really about having the right answers, but it was about how does how do all of these beliefs help me become a more cohesive, a more embodied, a more authentic version of myself, a more at peace? How do they help me not only bring heaven on earth for everybody, but be heaven on earth for me and for especially my kids that live with me every day, right? And my partner. Yeah, it has been a whole entire journey. And mm -hmm. the, and I, ca I call it unearthing because that has been the journey. Systems of oppression, including toxic Christianity, often make people like it's like they pour cement they put us in boxes and pour cement on those boxes and make us fit into these square boxes and I feel like for the last 10 to 15 years I have been with with chisel and hammer in each hand I have been unearthing my own self like pulling mm -hmm. myself out of this box of cement and the, the more I work at it and the more I pull cement off of parts of me the more that I have mobility and that I learn and that I become more and more this human that yeah that I am hey, I mean, I'm hearing the, the intersections even as you're talking between kind of your individual journey but also the kind of collective journey the getting back in touch it sounds like with 
the collectiveness of what faith experience, spiritual experience looks like. And, and I know so much of the work you do now is helping or inviting people into both the, the individual and the collective experience of this unearthing, as you're talking about. I, I, I'm curious, how do you see that interplay bet between the collective and the individual, especially when it comes to things like dominant religion and, and Christian supremacy? Yeah, I really believe that the journey begins as an individual journey because it's a journey of actually first engaging your own brain mm. uh, and engaging all of the narratives and ideas that you have internalized, all of the things that are subconscious behavior that are subconscious narratives even that you have never actually brought up to your consciousness, that you have never done the work to say, where the hell does this come from? Why do I believe this thing? Or what is it? Why do I behave this way? What is the belief underneath this behavior that I repeat over and over and over again? So that's really how it started with me. I recognized that my relationship with my mother, that was a relationship of fear and a relationship of obedience, coercive obedience. Well, obedience, in my opinion, is always coercive. But this coercive, you know, like you have to do what I say because and... That, that relationship that I had with my mom when I was growing up was transferred to a pastor. I transferred all of that to a pastor and I realized that I was engaging in the same way. There was a lot of aspects of intimidation. There was a lot of aspects of me saying, what do you need me to do so that you won't get rid of me? What do you need me to do so that you won't discard me so that you find me lovable? And I realized that's because there were all of these internal narratives in my own psyche that caused me to believe that I needed to prove my worth, that I was a nuisance, that I was not worth keeping around. Mm -hmm. And I realized that those were lies that I had internalized, you know, that this underdeveloped child brain had internalized in order to be able to keep herself safe, in order to be able to keep herself. It wasn't out of maliciousness or it wasn't out of immaturity even. I was a child. It was out of my nervous system was saying, in order for you to be safe in this family, you have to belong by behaving. You have to belong by performing. You have to belong by offering value that it was work value. You know, you take care of your sister, you take care of the house, you do whatever needs to be done. And so I transfer all of that to a pastor and a church and I start engaging in the same way. I start engaging in, I'll volunteer, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I won't cause issues. When I have an issue, I will definitely quickly make my, like, Make it my issue. Mm. You know, I see issues and then I would say, oh, I'm sure that is because I am too immature to understand because that's the right. narrative that I had heard over and over mm. and over again. And so I start working on sitting down. I call people calling bullshit. I tell people this is what I called calling bullshit on myself mm. where something would come up and when I would go into these narratives, I'd be like, bullshit. Well, like, go deeper. Why are you doing this? Why are you accepting these? Why are you not setting boundaries? Why are you not holding accountable? Why are you tolerating abuse? What's going on? Uh, and I would, the first answer would be like, no, it's not that I'm not setting boundaries. In my brain, this is a conversation with myself, which is what I call prayer now. No, I'm not, it's not that I'm not setting boundaries. It's just that this feels like the right, I would make up excuses for myself in order to be able to justify harmful behavior. And I would call bullshit on myself and be like, that's not true, go deeper. Like, why are you doing it? And it was like, oh, cause I believe that if I don't do these, I will lose them. And if I lose them, I believe I'm not worthy because my mm. worthiness is completely attached to their acceptance of me. And that's mm. not real worthiness, right? right. Uh, if it's external, if it's coming from something outside of me. And so long, I said this recently, and I developed a little further, but 
Whenever people are still expecting acceptance from outside of them, whenever they don't accept themselves because of who they are, but need external acceptance in order to be able to feel good with themselves, they are not trustworthy. They will betray anybody in order to not lose that acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really wasn't trustworthy in that sense. You know, I wasn't holding my pastors accountable. I wasn't holding people accountable that were causing harm. And I would make excuses. And I wasn't holding them accountable to the harm that they were doing to me. I would betray my own self even. And it wasn't until I promised, okay, I'm not going to betray myself anymore. And I'm going to learn to love this person that I am, this inner child that, you know, has all of these self-esteem issues and has all of these insecurities and I'm going to call them out. And I have, I started to make peace with shame and say, I feel ashamed of the ways that I think about myself. I feel ashamed of myself. I have really low self-esteem. I don't love myself. I don't think I'm worthy. I rely a lot on my looks in order to be able to be acceptable. I am very good at assimilating into dominant culture to survive. And I don't want to do that anymore because in order to do that, I have to deny who I really am, that yeah. I have to betray myself. And so I started calling out all of my, like myself. And I realized that I had internalized queer phobia, internalized homophobia, internalized racism, internalized misogyny. Like I was misogyny toward myself, racist toward myself, homophobic, you know, queerphobic in general. And I started saying, I don't want to be like that anymore because it doesn't really just harm me. It harms everybody around me that has any identity like these identities. And I started calling bullshit and being like, that was racist. And I don't have to be ashamed of it because I was indoctrinated into these. And I want to embody anti-racism. I want to embody anti-sexism. I want to embody these things. And that's when the work becomes then collective. Mm -hmm. Because it was through conflict, through not being ashamed anymore, through submitting myself to accountability, to becoming an accountable person, through this developing relationships with identities that I have marginalized in my life, that I have been told should be marginalized, developing these relationships. And when I fuck up, they love me enough to say, hey, you're fucking up, you're hurting us. And developing a relationship with accountability, with shame and um, learning to regulate my nervous system enough to be able to receive that as love and not mm -hmm. as judgment or, you know, like they are not trying to cancel me or hurt me. They are actually inviting me into community. They are saying, if you want to be in community with us, then we need you to address this behavior. And so I started addressing it. And that's when the work becomes communal, because when you start loving yourself from within you, then you start loving others from within you too, and not from outside acceptance. I don't care who accepts or doesn't accept of me. I do care how much harm I cause and how much car, you know, like how much harm I, harm I avoid. Mm -hmm. So then is when the work becomes collective, when you start actually embodying it in relationship to others. And when you start loving people because of who they are and not because of what they can offer or because of what validation they offer to you or because of what, what exploitation you can get out of them. Because most of us don't admit to that, but a lot of our friends are just exploited in relationships where we are extracting from one another. I didn't want to have those relationships anymore. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have intentional, I see you, I love you, you matter. And all of that stems from the reality that I see me first, I love me first, and I matter too. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, that's kind of like how it, how it both dances together. You, The work, if it's only individual work, then it's just shallow, I want to be better 
to be able to say that I'm better, you know, but if it's not, it's not embodied, I'm just memorizing, it's still a performance if it's just individual. But once you bring it to the collective, you start embodying that reality. It's not things Mm. that you're memorizing about yourself, but it's ways in which you are existing in the world and actively rewiring your neural system, your neural connections, and the narratives that are subconscious in your brain about yourself and about others. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. interesting there a a moment ago about making peace with shame and the the kind of catching yourself oh that was i just said something racist or i thought something racist or homophobic or or any of these things like feeling the shame but not letting that stop you that feels so key to me because i i think so often shame stops us right like we use it as a to back away from something you actually started pushing forward there yeah shame is a beautiful thing like pain (laughs) Mm. Uh, both pain and shame are beautiful i learned to make peace with them and not hide from them and see i i was learning i was learning about my trauma and i was studying about my trauma and i started learning about dissociation i recognized how in order to be able to survive the way that i grew up I learned to dissociate a lot. And the thing when you dissociate, I learned, is that you cannot choose which emotions you're going to dissociate from. You dissociate from emotions, period. Mm -hmm. And so I I remember growing up, my sister was like, I think that you're broken because you feel nothing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't cry watching movies. I wouldn't feel sad about things. It almost like I couldn't feel compassion because I couldn't feel compassion for myself because it was a way of surviving. And so I, it was just, you know, it was a coping mechanism that I developed as a child. And so I recognized that I had a really, and, and this happens to a lot of people to some, like to some different levels, right? right? We learn to dissociate in order to be able to survive systems of oppression in order, because if we all paid attention at all times about the, you know, to all of the pain that is happening around us, to all of the oppression that is happening around us all the time, we won't make it. Like we right. will just be in constant state of grief at all times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a level of healthy by having some dissociation, but not full dissociation. And because so, then we go to toxic positivity and, you know, all of those things that are harmful. But then I decided I don't want to dissociate anymore. I want to learn to feel my emotions. I want to learn what it is to feel. I couldn't even describe my emotions. People would tell me, how are you feeling? I'm a little sad or I'm a little frustrated, but I couldn't really tell you I feel a 
pit in the like in the in my stomach i feel like i'm going to throw up right now i feel like my heart is quite literally broken like i cannot even breathe right now i feel like i have a something sitting on my chest and i didn't start making peace with my emotions until i i was horribly abused and the pain was so great um and I wanted to die so badly that mm-hmm. I knew that if I didn't sit down with all of these emotions, I was going to end up hurting myself or hurting everybody around me, maybe yeah. both even. And so it wasn't until I started making peace with this pain and saying, I don't want to spiritually bypass this pain. I don't want to pretend everything is okay. I don't want to pretend that God is in the middle of this. I don't want to pretend I, I'm actually fucking angry with God because where the fuck is this God that they told me was so good while I'm going through all of these and I'm on top of that being lied about and being blamed for all of these. Right. Uh, where, where is this God? And it wasn't until I gave myself permission to be very angry with God, to cry, to 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 say all the things that I was thinking, but I never gave myself permission to say out loud, to say, I don't know if I believe that this fucking God exists. And if he does, I kind of don't like him. I think he's a dick. It wasn't until I gave myself permission to say all of those things and to say things to my partner, to say things to my parents, to sit down and say, I need to talk to you guys and I need to tell you how I'm feeling and I need you to not take it as an offense. I'm just explaining how I'm feeling from here. And I started to make peace with all of those shameful things that were coming in my head, you know? With all of those things that we are told, don't say that out loud because it's shameful to, I started saying them out loud. And I was like, I need to, I need to, I felt like I was throwing up all of these emotions that I had been bottling up forever. And there was, and I was doing it in the healthiest possible way that I could, which was with my family. Like I was doing yeah. it with my dad and my mom and my partner more, and my sister. My sister's a psychiatrist too. So that helped. <laughs> um <laughs> But I, you know, we were having all these conversations as a family and my sister then was also sharing a lot of things. And I'm sure that she won't mind sharing if I share this publicly. But I remember when she sat with me and she said, now that we're having all of these conversations, we would have dinner every Sunday night. She said, I want to share something with you. I had an abortion a while ago and I never told you. My sister and I are the closest of friends. I love my sister. And she said, I never told you because I was afraid that you were going to judge me. Hmm. And I said, you know what? I would have. Yeah, you did right. the right thing. I would have. I would have judged you. So yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that I couldn't be a safe place for you. And it wasn't until we created this space for us to be able to say all of the shameful, scary things, to be able to say, hey, I know that all of these things are things that you would have judged me for before, and maybe you're going to judge me still, but I need to say them because this is who I am. And we met one another there first. And I started making peace with all of those shameful parts of me, with all of these shadows with all of these ugly things. I remember telling them like, I, I don't like tanning because I don't want to be darker. And that's anti-blackness in me. That's why I always hid from the sun. And I'm not going to pretend anymore that it's, oh, I just don't want to tan. No, I'm going to call it what it is. It's anti-blackness. It is. And I am deeply fat phobic. And every single pregnancy that I had had up until this moment that we were having these conversations, I had two daughters at the time. I was like, I've hated my body growing that way. I thought it was, and I, I didn't have to hide that anymore because that was the reality of what was happening in my brain. And pretending that it wasn't, wasn't going to make it any better. Right. I needed to pull it, to put it out there. I needed to just be myself. And in that being of myself without editing myself, without having to show up with makeup and perfectly dressed and perfectly neat, in that showing up, I found out so much healing too. And mm-hmm. so having this community of people that loved me and were navigating all of this with me that were my immediate family and that's just a privilege in itself right that I could have this 
community of people that were safe community, I started healing and making peace. And now I do that as a practice, like it's a spiritual practice for me. I journal a lot and I say, okay, what am I thinking? And I, and I call it out. Whoa, that was, I am so embarrassed that that came out of me, that that's the mm -hmm. thought that came to me. I need to rewire that. I need to change that. That's not the right thought. Even through this pandemic, I was sharing with someone, I, I've gained some weight, which is normal, right? And I looked at myself in the mirror the other day, like, and by the other day, when I say the other day, it could mean three months or yesterday. I do that too. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the other day was a few months ago, and I looked at myself in the mirror naked, and I was like, I hate the way my body looks. Look, mm. and immediately I go, why? What are you talking about? You've mm. birthed four children, have had five pregnancies. In those five pregnancies, there have been two miscarriages. There has been surgeries. There has been all of these different things that have happened to your body and it has sustained you. And you look, you know, you have gone through this pandemic with these children at home, trying to navigate all of these, not being able to have family close by that can help you. And your body has sustained you. You hate it because it looks, it doesn't look like you've been told beautiful bodies look like, but your body is beautiful. But you still have these internalized ideas that for your body to be beautiful, it has to look like it looked when you were 20 years old. And it has to look different than how fat women look. Right. And I had to sit with that reality and share it out loud. And I feel no shame for saying all of those things out loud. I feel sh I, like I felt shame when I thought him, but not in this, I didn't hold on to that shame. I said, what is this shame trying to teach me? That I need to change some patterns of behavior and patterns of ideas. That I need to make peace with my relationship with my own body. So shame can teach us a lot of things, as can pain. But if we run from shame and we run from pain, then we continue to stay in these cycles of harmful thoughts, harmful behaviors, harmful patterns, um, to be able to appease and cover up and to be able to appear and un unproblematic, not in problem, unproblematic. And I didn't yeah. want to do that anymore. A, a lot of people would would put you in this camp of deconstruction, right? <laughs> and and I often hear you say something along the lines of, "I'm not interested in deconstruction. I'm interested in liberation." I'm wondering if you could talk more about that because so much of what you're talking about sounds liberative. Right, you're not just pulling something down; you're getting free from something. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, deconstruction has different definitions depending on who you're talking to. But the gist of it is that you start asking questions of your faith. You start asking questions of, and really before that, it was asking questions of the ways in which we have been indoctrinated by the systems at hand. So the education system has all taught us to be obedient, to be silent, to memorize information, to, you know, wake up at a certain time, be on time, not miss a lot of days. All of that is not education, it's indoctrination. And so deconstruction really began as a, wait, why are we existing in this way? Do we have to? And then a lot of different white religious people started to talk about deconstruction in the context of religious deconstruction, which is we are asking questions of our faith. Why do we believe what we believe? Does this even make sense? Because it's harming us, so we can ask questions, which is a good endeavor and it's an important endeavor. But if it's the only endeavor that you're going to engage in, you're going to to ask questions of what hurt you and you're going to stop believing the things that hurt you but that doesn't mean that you're going to stop being harmful or that you're going to stop being hurt yourself because 
really it goes beyond that like it's not about oh i now changed my beliefs instead it's about what does it look like to be liberated what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with myself and a healthy relationship with those in my world and so i start i talk about liberation and i talk about liberation because that was the journey that i went on it wasn't i didn't even know what deconstruction was when i started on this journey i didn't i had never heard that but this is what happened in my head in my head was I see the pattern of behavior. I see how I transferred all of my trauma of childhood from my mother to my pastor. And I refuse to do that again. And in order for me to ensure that I don't do that again, I need to own how I participate in this. I need to own how, how I have been indoctrinated in certain beliefs and into certain behaviors in order to participate in all of these. And I have to change my patterns of behavior and my patterns of thought. And so I started doing that and I started doing the work of, and I remember telling myself, and I journal a lot, like I said, and journaling, um, I will not betray myself ever again. I don't, I want to learn to not betray myself. I need to learn to not betray myself. And we can all tell when we've betrayed ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. we can all tell when we say the right thing in order to be acceptable or accepted. We can all tell when we cross our own boundaries or allow for others to cross our boundaries because we are afraid that they are going to reject us. And we can all f know what that feels like. It, it feels like this, like, oh, I hate that I did that, but I had to do that. And so I wanted to pay attention to those moments. I wanted to become aware. I wanted to become more conscious. I wanted to stop existing. I wanted to live. I wanted to really, truly, genuinely live. And for that, I needed to explore who I am, what I want. I didn't even know what I wanted anymore. You know, I lost my career because I chose to speak about the abuse inside of the church. So I lost my career. I lost all of my relationships. And I was like, I don't even know who I am outside of these identities of pastor and of Christian. I do not know who I am. I do not know if you ask me who is Joe. I would have been like, she was a pastor. I don't know anymore. I don't know. So I went on a journey of discovering who I was and what I wanted. And of like, I wanted to be my biggest supporter. I had been for so long, everybody else's supporter in order to keep myself safe. And I wanted to learn to be my own. And that has been a liberation for me. And it continues. I continue to, the work of liberation never stops, right? Yeah, and right. so I continue to do that work. But if we stop at deconstruction and we say, oh, okay, I don't believe in hell anymore. That does not mean that you don't still believe in racism, you know, in racist ideologies. They are still right there inside of you. That doesn't mean that you don't still believe that your worth is in how much you can produce because capitalism actually taught you that. And Christianity was just a tool, a weapon, really, a weapon that was used in order to solidify all of these ideologies of oppressive systems. So it goes beyond, because so that's why I don't care if people are Christians or not, if people choose atheism or not, if they choose agnosticism, Judaism, if they choose to convert to Judaism or Islam, or if they choose to, you know, do whatever it is that they choose to do, because our journeys are unique. The goal is what are things that are actually serving me in order to become the most authentic version of myself. And the most authentic version of yourself is the, that's the life that I want for everybody. I want everybody to experience the most authentic version of themselves. And listen, I'm going to quote somebody here, mm. but this is not an endorsement because I actually don't like him anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <Cool. laughs> but I started listening. This was a long time ago. He wasn't even that popular back then. But he, I started listening to Gary V. I don't like Gary V anymore. He's very, very capitalistic. And I just have a really hard time with that now. But he said something about regret. 
that really stuck with me. And he said, and I was, this was when I was still thinking about leaving the church. I haven't even left. And he said, the one thing that has changed my life the most was hanging out with people that are old and terminal. All of them have regret. All of them say, I wish I would have said, I wish I would have done, I wish I would have divorced or married, I wish I would have been authentic, I wish I would have. And he said, I want to live a life in such a way that I have no regrets. Mm. And I thought, me too. That's exactly how I want to live. I want to live my life in such a way that I don't have regrets, that I don't say, or even if I have regrets, that they are regrets that I chose consciously and not mm. subconsciously. Because at that time, I was stuck in a church, stuck in a career, feeling trapped in a world, in a life that I hated. I was married and had two kids, and I didn't want to be married anymore. And I realized that I got married because of Christian coercion. And I realized I had children because of Christian coercion. I didn't want to be a mom. I didn't want to have, the, I didn't want to live in the United States, and I was stuck here. And so my all of my choices had been choices that were coerced choices choices i didn't make any of the choices myself with my full authentic intuition with my full authentic this is what i want for my life it was more like this is what's expected of me so i'll follow i'll follow along and so i thought from now on i want to live in such a way that every choice that i make is a choice that i'm making consciously so that mm -hmm. i have no regrets so that i can say no i i genuinely honestly chose that for me i wanted that and so given now that I was still married and I had children, you know, so I had to live with those like complexities. And so Gary Vee says that and I start thinking through what would it look like to live my life that way? What is it that I really want? And I didn't know. So I went on that journey of figuring out what is it that I really genuinely want? And I had to sit down with my husband and say, I don't think I want to be married to you. I don't actually never mind. Let me be more assertive. I don't want to be married with you. I don't. I married mm. you because of all of the wrong reasons, because it was the Christian thing to do, because they told me that God said to them that you were the man for me because you were white, honestly, and you were going to make me safer in the world. I married you because of the way you looked at me, because I liked being liked that way. But none of those reasons are good enough reasons to marry you. And I don't want to mm. be married to you anyway, anymore in that way. And so we had to, like, we separated for 60 months and then we had a lot of conversations about what does it mean like to choose one another, to genuinely, really, honestly choose one another and what does it look like to make room for us to say, I don't want to be with you anymore and for the other person to not take it personally, but say, I celebrate you as you move toward the most authentic version of yourself. And it's been a whole entire journey and that's true for everything that I do. Yeah. I sit down and I say, what does it mean to make a choice here where I don't have regret? You're mentioning this kind of regret. You also said a few minutes ago something about that feeling of betrayal of self and how often we can we know what that feels like. I'm curious if you would say that systems, especially like systems of power, do you think those can get in the way of that of that sense of knowing? Yes. Absolutely, 100%. Because at the end of the day, and you probably know more about this than me, but at the end of the day, our nervous system is our nervous system, right? Yeah. And it's going to want to keep us safe above, wanted to keep us authentic, if you, mm -hmm. if you will. And so I make the differentiation between, like, for instance, I tell people, sometimes I'm, I cope, sometimes I choose not to heal, but instead I choose to cope. Mm -hmm. The difference between choosing to cope and coping subconsciously is huge. 
You know, we all are going to experience trauma. All of us are going to experience trauma in our life. The difference between experiencing trauma without any tools, without any support, without any knowledge, and experiencing trauma with knowledge, tools, and support is abysmal. You know, one sends you in a spiral of self-hatred and pain and, you know, internal, like almost, yeah, internalizing a lot of ideas that are going to harm you for the rest of your life. And the other becomes an opportunity for you to grow and learn more about who you are and what is okay with you and what's not okay with you. Because we are not born with that knowledge. We learn that as we engage in relationship with others and with the world. We learn I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. So we will all experience trauma and we will all have all of these things. And systems of oppression, I was telling someone that systems of oppression are so effective because when you are in your sympathetic nervous system, which is the nervous system that is activated, I'm not explaining it to you, but to anybody listening, sure, um, sure. <laughs> the sympathetic nervous system, which is the system that is activated, the nervous system that is activated when you are in fight flight mode, inhibits your prefrontal cortex. So you cannot think clearly. You are just trying to defend yourself. That's all you're trying to do. You're trying to survive. Systems of oppression keep us in cycles of engagement of the nervous system, of the sympathetic nervous system. So we don't have enough time to even have rest or to even have, yeah, safe, safety enough, like enough safe spaces to be able to be in the parasympathetic nervous system, the other one, where our prefrontal cortex is engaged, where we can think, where we can say, what is it that I want? Where we can imagine something better, where we can heal even. You cannot heal in your sympathetic nervous system like that this is true biologically your body is either healing or keeping itself safe it cannot do both things at the same time so in order to be able to heal in order to be able to have a better relationship with yourself you have to find enough safe spaces and that's the problem with a lot of toxic churches and a lot of toxic spaces that they keep you in in cycles of trauma and so your sympathetic nervous system is constantly activated. You know, I have to go to church every Sunday. And every time that I go to church, I am told that I'm not good enough, which activates my nervous system. And therefore, I don't get to think for myself. I am just consuming information in order to keep myself safe. I am just behaving according to what they tell me to behave in order to keep myself safe. And that's how the church becomes a very powerful weapon of oppression because it, it puts shame on us. It's not us having a healthy relationship with shame, but it's all of these theologies and ideologies shaming us in order to keep our nervous system in the sympathetic, activated nervous system that doesn't allow for us to engage our prefrontal cortex, to think, to create beauty, to imagine new things, to even develop our own theology to develop our own personal relationship with ourselves and so we we become dependent on the coping mechanism that becomes the church so i am feeling activated oh i need to go to church or i need to pray or i need to read or i need to go to small group in order to be able to cope in an unhealthy manner with all of these ideas about how unworthy i am and the moment that you choose to not cope that way anymore, but you say, no, I want to heal. I don't want to cope anymore. Then you start also finding coping mechanisms that are healthier that you choose and not that you are thrown into. So I have different coping mechanisms. You know, there are times that I just say, I'm going to watch a TV show right now because I'm exhausted. Like I need to dissociate almost, but I do so consciously. And it's not dissociate forever, it's dissociate for right now because I don't have the capacity. And those are two very different ways of engaging in the world, you know, mm -hmm. of, of having a life or living your life. You can live your life in your subconscious brain, being in com eternal 
cycles of trauma, coping in unhealthy ways with maladaptive coping mechanisms that keep you in these cycles of trauma. And you can find the most societally acceptable coping mechanisms like workaholism, like church attendance, like being married to someone. All of those can be maladaptive coping mechanisms that are societally acceptable. Or you can choose, you can choose to say, I am actually going to heal from these things. I'm actually going to address them and find healthy coping mechanisms as I address them and as I heal from them to be able to survive the trauma that comes from them. I don't remember the question, but I just went on that rant. I, I, I didn't think it's a great rant. Like, I think we could, <laughs> and I don't even want to use the word rant for it. Like, it, it, I mean, it's everything you're saying is so vital for understanding how our bodies, how we begin to heal from trauma. And you know, um, one of the things that hurts me the most about modern white Western psychology is that it has disconnected how this is actual spiritual work. Mm. It's it's not just the therapy, it's not just psychology, it's not mm. it's actual spiritual work. It's the spiritual work of reconnecting with yourself after systems of oppression have demanded that you become a disembodied person. Mm. And so these these coming back to yourself, this becoming conscious, aware, this journey toward embodiment is actual spiritual work. And of course, other people don't call it spiritual. That's fine. But for us to think that it's just, oh, I just want to be healthy and not, no, this is a spiritual work that affects you, your ancestors, your descendants, and your communities. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah. this is a big deal. Like it's a, it's, this is the work. I mean, as you talk about finding these kind of places of healing, finding these places of safety, working with your trauma, I'm thinking all the way back to when we started, of you shares a little bit about your gender and the way that that ties in with the divine. I would love to hear how those things do fit together and maybe how you've gotten some more space to play with those things. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question because I think it's so important because we think that once we start becoming more healed and more um, authentic, more embodied, then everything changes immediately. And the mm. first realization I had was that I have, I am bisexual. I was like, I'm bisexual. My whole life I've been attracted to both women and men. I've been attracted and I realized that I've been attracted to humans. Like it wasn't even specifically women and men, but just humans. Mm -hmm. And I realized that every time I even mentioned it to my mom and I said, mom, I, I, I feel attracted to this person. It was my friend. It was a friend of mine, a woman. And my mom was like, no, no, Joe, that is like, that's not attraction. That's admiration. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, it was very clear that homophobia was all there. And then I decided, like, in my brain, I was like, it feels the same as attraction, but I guess that when it is for someone of the same sex, you just call it admiration. Okay, cool. So then as I started becoming more authentic and healing from all of my trauma, I was like, oh, this is a part of me. I've always been attracted to everybody and I have to make peace with that. But it took me months to even say that out loud. Mm -hmm. I just admitted it to myself first and I felt no shame about not feeling safe about admitting it to somebody else. And I remember thinking the only reason that I feel sometimes like I should be ashamed that I am not saying this out loud yet is because other people have told me that once you recognize that you have to come out and say it out loud, but I, it doesn't feel authentic to me. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't. It feels like I'm going to be going against my own intuition and against what feels safe to me. 
So I decided I'm not going to do that. And then I felt safer. And I told first my partner and I told my sister and I told my dad and I told my mom. And then I started telling more people. And now, and I never really came out officially. I just started being that way. I just started existing in that way. And then I started talking about my gender and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine that's non-binary. And I was telling them that I don't choose they pronouns because they feel like I am appropriating from trans and non-binary people. And he said, that's white nonsense. Or they said, I'm sorry. They said, that's white nonsense. Where are you getting that from? Who owns they, them pronouns? Nobody does. Do they feel authentic to you? And I said, they do. They feel authentic to me, but I'm not trans or officially non-binary. I also identify as a woman, like both. And they said, okay, that's, that's you. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to fit into what, like, that, that's the beauty of rejecting binaries, right? You get mm-hmm. to just be. And so I started, I added they, them pronouns. And this was really recent. This was probably like eight months ago. And I mm-hmm. added they, they pronouns to everything, like everywhere that I had an online presence. And then every time that I was in a meeting where pronouns were, I would put she, they. And I didn't make a big fuss about it either because it didn't feel authentic for me. It felt authentic to just be, to just, you know, to just change it. And so I move according to what feels authentic to me. And sometimes that's a slower And sometimes that's a little faster. I remember when I sat down and I was like, I don't want to straighten my hair anymore. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. authentic anymore. I do it for the approval of others. I don't do it because it feels good to me. And I stopped. I stopped. This was probably three years ago or yeah, three or four years ago. And I was like, nope, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to straighten my hair anymore. But that it, see, and that's the beauty of being able to engage in this journey is that you get to walk at whatever pace feels right to you. And anybody pressuring you to move at a faster or slower pace, you can say, hey, this is my journey. And you can either walk with me, but if you need to walk faster, you can move ahead. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. You can move ahead. We'll either find each other one day or we won't. And that's totally fine. What I want is your well-being, not your, you know, not, not your thumbs up for me. I want your well-being. And if your well-being means that we move away from one another, that's okay. So we move at a pace that that where we are not activating our own nervous system in order to belong now into another group of people. Mm-hmm. We move mm-hmm. at the pace that feels authentic and right and healthy for each one of us. And some people will move away from us because of that, but then some people will not. Some people will be like, this feels authentic to me too, and here I am. And then some people that move away, you'll run into them later on too, and that's beautiful. And some people you won't, and that's beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, I, I mean, I feel like we could just talk forever. There's so so many themes, but we are bumping into time. I'm, I'm curious, how can people find your work if they want to engage with it? I have, I am on a lot of different social media platforms and it depends on the social media platform that you find me in, the version of me that you'll find. <laughs> because listen, I heard somebody say that Twitter is like New York City, Facebook is like Florida. And Instagram is like Los Angeles and they didn't have a TikTok one yet. And that feels very true. So you get like a New Yorker version of me in Twitter. <laughs> and Facebook, I just put everything else that I have on the other ones. But yeah, I am on, I make videos on TikTok and that's, that actually has been really fun for me to be able to engage. And I've met a lot of really good people there that have taught me a lot. 
And so, yeah, and I'm working on a book and I also have a podcast. So the podcast is called The Living Room, where I have just conversations similar to the one that we just had, but with a whole bunch of other people, which you should come on, by the way. And so, yeah, that's that's how people can find me. Oh, awesome. Great. And we'll, links will be in show notes, of course. So, well, thank you so much. This, this has been a blast. I really enjoyed this and I'm grateful for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having a conversation with me. And then we'll have another one. And yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for being in community with me, the ways that we get to be in community. You can follow Joe's work over on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Lumen. That's at J-O-L-U-E-H-M-A-N-N. She's really fun to follow, y'all. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. And until next time, y'all. Bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.